If uh, you live in Melbourne, this week we had a public holiday. Did everybody enjoy that? You know, I love living in a country and in a state that has two public holidays that are dedicated to sport. How crazy is that? You know, when I first came to Australia, we heard a quote from Paul Hogan. He said that in Australia, sport is religion. He was not kidding, right? So it is. And, uh, you know, over uh, the last four days this, this week, a lot of money was spent on horse racing, right? And I went and looked at some statistics, and uh, the, the only solid numbers I could get, I had to go all the way back to 2020. And over the four days of horse racing, it said that $667 million was spent on betting on the horses. So did anybody do that this year, and did you win? Right? Can we put the offering slide back up there again? How to give, right? If you got that kind of money, if you got that kind of money to gamble with, just give it to us, because you're about to lose anyway. You might have heard that before, right, from somewhere. You know, I don't think I would... Uh, uh, be uh, very good at gambling because, uh, first of all, I would get sucked way in too far and I would be borrowing money from all my friends to try to get back what I lost. And the other thing, especially if I played cards, because I'm told regularly I do not have a poker face, right? I'm sitting with the staff and everything and I'm like, yeah, things are great, you know, yeah. and they're thinking, no, we know you're disappointed. You know, regularly, I, I, I get that. And staff, I'm sorry about that. I really don't want that. I want to project positivity and stuff. But anyway, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about our relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand unless you want to. That's fine. But how many of you are ever disappointed in Jesus or God? Yeah, thank you. If we're honest, every hand would be up. Because there's times in our lives where we are actually disappointed with the way things work out and the way God does things. Because we're not God and he is and, and all that. The question I want to ask for you today, I want you to answer today though, is what do you do with those disappointments? How do you process those? How do you move on from those? You know, we're in the middle of a series exploring who Jesus is, I am Jesus, and we're focusing on a few statements that he made. Uh, apart from all the different ideas and opinions about who he is, uh, we're looking at what Jesus said about himself, and we began looking at Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Then last week, we looked at him saying, I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd. That message could have actually been called, I can't get no satisfaction, and if you uh, are, are in life groups, you actually processed that song this week, because uh, Pastor Deanna uh, did a great job with that. But if you didn't do that or if you didn't hear the message last week, go to our website, go to our app, go to our YouTube channel. And by the way, when you go to those things, share them, like them, all that, because everybody can benefit from the stuff that you're getting exposed to. But today, we're going to look at a profound statement that Jesus made to some people who, quite honestly, were disappointed in him. He didn't do what they wanted. In John chapter 6, he says this, I am the bread of life. That's the statement he made. And that statement was part of a conversation with some people who were following him because they were amazed by his miracles and they wanted more. They're like, this is great. Give us some more. This is wonderful. We want more. And they said this to Jesus. It says in uh, verse 2 of John 6, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went, 
because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. The sick. The crowd is growing. The miracles are bringing the multitudes, you might say. So in one case, Jesus had multitudes there. There was over 5,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children. And he was teaching them. He had been healing people, and that's why they were there. But he had been teaching. And near the end of the day, he went to one of his disciples called Philip and said, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? What do you reckon? And Philip was a, a very logical, structured, strategy kind of guy. And he's like, nah, it's impossible. Even if we wanted to, it would take several months to raise that much money. And then to actually go and get the food and everything, nah, that's just not going to work. Send them away. And then there's another guy called Andrew. And he heard Jesus and Philip talking. And he said, well, I got an idea. Philip saw an obstacle. Andrew saw an opportunity here. He said, I got this little boy. And he's got five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Now, if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, why are you in this conversation anyway? Okay. That makes no sense at all. And I actually started thinking about my staff, and I won't name them, but I've got one strategy kind of person over here that would uh, say, yeah, it's probably impossible. I got another person over here, and I'm just figuratively pointing at people. But uh, they would say, yeah, we can make that happen. Right? So... As I'm looking at that, by the way, Andrew, Andrew brought this little boy to Jesus. And everywhere you see Andrew in the Bible, Andrew is always bringing people to Jesus. And I just think that's so cool. That's a whole other message series. But uh, uh, let that sink in a little bit for you. So he brought the little boy to Jesus and the loaves and fishes. And Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. And I thought about this morning, there'd be 400 people in the room, 450 people in the room. I thought, I'm going to feed you all with this. Yeah. Everybody's going to get a crumb, maybe, and probably not. But imagine, Jesus took five of these and a couple of fish and fed probably upwards of 15,000, 20,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and kids with five loaves and two fishes. A pretty amazing miracle. In fact, he did that, and then there was leftovers. There was 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now, how many of you like to eat leftovers? I see no hands. I see a few hands. Okay, okay. You know, this week I was really proud of us, Deanna and I. A lot of times we'll put leftovers in the refrigerator, and I, I clean up a lot because Deanna does most of the cooking and everything. And I'll put the leftovers in the fridge, and when I put them in the fridge, I know that, okay, that's going to sit there for five days, and then we're going to clean out the fridge, right? Because <laughs> we don't do the leftovers. It's like, ooh, gross. That's just, that was yesterday's stuff. And uh, anyway, this week we ate leftovers a lot, and we actually didn't throw any food away, and I was so proud of her uh, for that. <laughs> Yeah. So Jesus does this, does this miracle, and he's been healing people, and they have determined this is the prophet we've been waiting for. We are going to force him to be our king right now, right? And then Jesus slipped away. He said, no, that's not going to happen. It's not time for that. And I, as I was processing that, I thought about you, and I thought about me. And what if people came to you, and they said, wow, wow, you're doing some amazing stuff. We really like this. We're going to want to elevate you. We want to promote you. We want to make you the center uh, of attention for ourselves. How would we respond to that? Would we say, oh, no, no, I'm going to run away? Or we say, hmm, yeah, that, that fits. I'll take that on for size. So the disciples 
and they're waiting for Jesus because he's, he's running away from the crowd there. And they're going to the other side of the lake. They waited for him. And then I'm giving you a little background to where we're really going to today. And they went to the other side of the lake without Jesus because they couldn't find him. And it's the middle of the night. And this lake journey is about six or seven miles, okay? And you can translate that to kilometers. The Bible says miles. So anyway, um, yeah, because it was written in English in America. Right. <laughs> Not really. Don't take that clip and say something else, right? Anyway, where was I going with this? Okay, the disciples are in the boat. A storm comes up, and they're rowing hard, and they're getting nowhere. And then Jesus comes, as he does, walking on the water. Now, he's, they're out in the middle of the lake, so he's walked three or four miles on the water to get to them. And then when they see him, they're afraid, and he says, hey, it's me, don't worry. He gets in the boat, everything calms down, and immediately they're on the other side. Next morning, the crowd's looking around, where's Jesus? They don't know where Jesus is, and the boat the disciples were in is gone, so they're confused. So they went to the other side of the lake. Now, remember, we've got 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people. The crowd's diminishing. In fact, through this whole story, the crowd is getting smaller and smaller. You're going to see the funnel effect today when we see about following Jesus. All right. So a crowd, they got in their own boats and things, and they went to the other side of the lake. They found Jesus, and after he had uh, fed the 5,000, they found him again, and then they said this to him. Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. When did you get here? He didn't even answer their question. He's, he goes right to the, to the point. Hey, you're here because of the miracles and because I fed you, really. That's really what you're all about. They were drawn to him by the promise of food and the prospect of miracles. Before he fed them, they were only coming for the miracles. But after they fed him, then all they're really worried about is getting their belly full. They just want him to keep feeding them. So though the crowd was seeking Jesus... They had impure motives. They did it for the wrong reasons. They followed Jesus so they could get what they wanted. You know, you and I today, sadly, often are following Jesus to get what we want. Some people follow Jesus because they want to change in their circumstances. They want him to heal them or give them something. Their belief is in the fact that he can do stuff for them, not that he wants to save them from their sins. You know, this isn't uncommon either. There are actually some uh, circles where it's promoted that uh, if you come to Jesus, he's gonna make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know what that does? It draws people in, but it leads to disappointment. Because when you don't get healthy, you don't get wealthy, or you're not any wiser, but that was the promise? That's what brought you to Jesus? What happens? You're disappointed. And many times it's very popular today to hear of people deconstructing their faith. A lot of times it's because of the disappointment. How do you deal with the disappointment that you have with God, with Jesus? Do you say, you know what? It wasn't my way. I didn't get what I wanted. So I'm going to set it aside. You know, we come to Jesus I think many times genuinely because we're, we're amazed at who he is. We learn about who he is. He's the perfect son of God. 
And he died on a cross for our sins. And we realize we're sinners. And we realize that he is our access to God the Father. He is our access to heaven. And we come for that purpose. But over time, as we grow in our faith, we start expecting things from him. We start expecting him to give us what we want as well. And our faith or our expectations grow. But then sometimes our faith doesn't follow that because it actually starts crumbling because we're disappointed. There's a great theologian and songwriter named Mick Jagger. He said this, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. Now, this is very ironic this morning because I actually asked the tech team, can you cue up Mick to sing this for us so I don't have to? And they wouldn't. I'm still not going to. But, you know, what, what, what it told me is that you can't always get what you want. You know? I'm the lead pastor here. You would think I could get that done, wouldn't you? Would you think that's a reasonable request? And they said no. But if I try sometime, I might just might find I get what I need, what you need. You know, this, this song, is, it, while, while certainly Mick Jagger's not a theologian, probably not even spiritual, he was hitting on something that is true in our life. We strive and we try and we want to get what we want and then we get disappointed because we can't get what we want. But in the end, a lot of times we are finding what we actually need. Now, we don't get our theology from Mick. We get it from Jesus. And this is what he said about this matter. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Jesus says you're focused on things that won't last. You're focused on what you want. You need to focus on the eternal. You need to focus on what you need. He was revealing their motives when he answered the question this way. And that got their attention. Then uh, they said this to Jesus. We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? That's very important. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Jesus told them. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They were asking, what stuff can we do that will appease God? We want to make God happy. We want to do some of the miracles you're doing, maybe, if that's what God likes. Can can we do that stuff too? And Jesus' response was not what they expected. They were looking for a list, a list of do's and don'ts. You got to do this but don't do this, and on and on and on. And the list would be volumes and volumes and volumes of fill up a whole library with all the do's and don'ts. That's what they were looking for. That's what they expected. And he replied, the only work God wants you to do is to believe in the one that he sent. Now, he's talking about himself, but they still don't get it. But right now, Jesus told them that they were looking for food that only sustains life but he would give them eternal life. That's the whole picture Jesus is painting in this whole story. You're worried about sustaining life. I'm worried about eternal life. His point for you and I today, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to our eternity, we need to focus on on the, the long game. We need to focus on eternal, not temporal. We need to focus on what's going to give us eternal life, not what, not what is going to satisfy us today. Look at this. He says, they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. He's saying, believe in me. And they're saying, okay, show us a sign. What can you do? 
Remember a while ago they, they asked him, what should we do? Now they're saying, what can you do to show us? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're still focused on what they want. They're trying to set the terms and conditions here. They're saying, we'll believe you if. Here's the conditions, Jesus. If you do this, then we'll believe you. We hear what you're saying, but we want you to prove it through a miraculous sign. Miraculous sign. And oh, by the way, we have a suggestion for you. This is what Moses did for our ancestors. Back to the give us more bread. Keep feeding us, right? That's what they're asking for once again. Moses gave them bread. Why don't you just do that for us, Jesus? What we learn here is that sometimes these guys and sometimes we are following Jesus on our own terms. We want to make the rules. I'll follow Jesus if he does X, Y, Z. Have you ever had that conversation with God? Right? God, if you come through for me, I will go to church every week. Anybody? God, if you give me that job, I'll start giving 10% of my income to you. Right? Anybody ever promise that? All right, you're not going to raise your hands. It's a trap. All right? God, if you give me that house, I'll use it for you. We'll host life groups in our house. Maybe some of you year 12 students right now, God, if you give me that ATAR score to get in the uni course I want, then I'll use my education for you. Maybe I'll even go overseas and be a missionary or something if you just give me that ATAR, right? If you heal me from the, this disease, I'll give the rest of my life for your service. Anybody ever have those conversations with God? Yeah, I think this is sounding a little familiar, isn't it, to some of you? What happens after that? Maybe God meets your demands. You get out of that tough place that you were in where you said, hey, if you get me out of this situation that I've created, I'll never do this again. And he gets you out, and here you are again doing that same silly stuff. You get the job. You get the uni placement. You get the healing you wanted. And then over time, what do we do? We forget our part of the bargain, right? The deal we made with God when we were being demanding. Or maybe... It happens this way. God doesn't meet your demands. He doesn't come through on your terms. You know what that leads to? That leads to disillusionment. We get disappointed, and then when God doesn't follow through on our terms or, come to, or let us follow him on our terms, we get disillusioned with following him at all. And once again, many people, their faith starts falling away. They fall away from faith because they're disillusioned, but it's because they were trying to do it on their terms, not his. Back to the text, and we'll see how Jesus responded to their suggestion. He said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he starts by correcting their thinking where they said, hey, Moses did this for us. And he said, no, 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 no. The father did that. And now the father wants to give you the true bread from heaven. That's what he's offering you. He describes the true bread from heaven as the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they still didn't understand, but they're, they're engaged and they're interested. So they said this, 
Give us that bread every day. Okay? They're excited about what Jesus is saying, but they're, they're still a little confused, and they're saying, give us that bread every day. So the conversation started with them seeking a sign and seeking more food, and now it's moved to, they're curious about this long-term bread, this bread from heaven. And, you know, they were, they had the wrong motives, but Jesus didn't dismiss them. When they first came to him. And I find that very interesting. I find that encouraging. Because even in the midst of our disingenuineness and our demanding, he still stays engaged. He doesn't dismiss us and send us away. He'll take our impure motives and even our demanding and say, oh, you're so cute when you're young. But listen to me. I'm going to stay engaged with you. I love it that Jesus is like that. Unfortunately for the crowd here, they were kind of like the woman in Samaria who uh, wanted the living water so she wouldn't have to come to the well every day. Well, they wanted this bread of life so that they wouldn't have to work hard to create bread or go buy bread every day. So Jesus has masterfully led them to a place here uh, with his teaching and then that conversation to do a big reveal. And he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Two key words in his statement there, besides the fact that he says, I'm the bread of life. He says, come and believe. Whoever comes. You know, coming to Jesus, following Jesus requires movement. We move towards Christ. We leave the past behind. We leave other stuff behind to come to Jesus. And whoever believes, the word believes there means to place faith in, to trust, to have hope or confidence. It's not just an intellectual assent to something. But these two words, come and believe, they go together. Both are needed to get the full picture. To come to Jesus is to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to come to Jesus. You can't separate those two. You can't say, I believe, but you don't follow. You can't say, I follow, but you don't believe. Those are inseparable thoughts. Jesus pointed out here, he says, there's two kinds of food. There's the food for the body, which is necessary for life. But there is food for the soul, for the inner man, that is absolutely essential for eternal life. What the people needed was not food, or what was not food for life. They needed the life that is a gift from God. Food only sustains life, but Jesus gives eternal life. He was talking one day to Satan. Jesus was in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is another disciple of Jesus who wrote about his time with Jesus. And he says this in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus told him, talking to Satan, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When Jesus said that to Satan, he's saying, because Satan was tempting him to turn rocks into bread to fill his belly. And he said, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's important, friends. Jesus is making an indictment against them. He says this, you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. You have seen and you still don't believe. You know, sometimes people are following Jesus based on what you see. 
If you see miracles, if you see amazing things, then maybe you will follow Jesus, like the crowd in John 6 that had been following him, but again, is dwindling down with each statement he makes. It's getting smaller. But what that leads to, when we follow Jesus based on what we see, you know what creeps in? Doubt. Doubt. Because, friends, quite honestly, sometimes what we see does not make a lot of sense. If you saw a virgin, pregnant, saying he's the Messiah, hmm, I doubt it, right? Right? If you saw the resurrected Jesus and your name was Thomas, what would you say? I doubt it. You know, when we base following Jesus only on what we can see, doubt creeps in. And when we start doubting, we want to see more miracles. We've got to see more and more and more evidence. Even after we started following Jesus, we did stay following Jesus. Oh, I've got to see more. Hey, I know what Jesus has done in the past in my life, but I, I need to, what have you done for me today? Otherwise, I'm going to start doubting. You know, the disciples had to overcome doubt to keep following Jesus after he died, after he rose again, after he ascended back into heaven. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If we're going to have true faith, it can't depend on what we can see. True faith depends on things that we can't see. It puts trust in. It puts confidence in. It puts hope in things that we don't see. So Jesus tells the crowd that while some reject him, he will never reject the ones that follow him. There's a lot more text here. Jesus used about 70 verses to explain the bread of life, and I didn't think you wanted to be here that long today. So you can go read that in John chapter 6 yourself, uh, but I'm summarizing. He's unpacking uh, further. He says this in, in verse 37. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. And he's unpacking that, and He's explaining that this is a divine event. When you come to me, it's a divine event. The Father is the one that draws you to that. God the Father draws people, and people come. Now, we don't understand that relationship, how that works, that you can only come if the Father draws you, but you have to come. You have to make the decision to come. Those work together. And again, we don't fully understand that, but that's what faith is about. Faith is the antidote to doubt. Jesus then said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. It says in the verses that follow that his disciples, they started murmuring and they started arguing with one another, how can this be? This is getting a little bit too much to handle. I doubt it. I can't handle what Jesus is saying here. They were not happy because he says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Joseph, the carpenter's son? And he's saying he came down from heaven. What he was saying is, hey, guys, I'm God. I'm God in the flesh. And they're saying, hey, 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 you're crossing the line here, Jesus. I'm not sure we can handle this. They were troubled that he said that because of the, it was a claim to be God. So the statement that Jesus said about himself, I am the bread of life, simply means I'm sent from heaven. I am God. I'm the giver of eternal life. I'm better than the manna that your ancestors ate that they got from 
the father through Moses. That was temporary. That was to sustain life. I'm giving eternal life. So there you have it. We got people who are disappointed, disillusioned, and doubtful about Jesus. You ever been there? Put yourself in that picture today. If you've never been there, you probably will get there one day. Because all of those are normal feelings. At the end of the day, how we manage those feelings impacts how we respond to Jesus. We can be part of the crowd that's here for the excitement and the thrills, the miracles, the show. Or we can take that next level step and be a part of the committed, not just a part of the crowd. We love the crowd. The crowd is great. Our community is a crowd. But we want to take that next step and be committed. Look at, there, there's two responses, and Jesus uh, uh, said the disciples did this. It says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. These were disciples that became deserters. And then, verse 67 says, Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. The disciples that continued were devoted. They were the devoted disciples. Come to him and believe in him. We make that decision to follow Jesus. When we say accept Jesus as our Savior, we make that decision. But then what does that look like in our daily life? I want to go back to those two words, the come and believe. Because I think that as we continue journeying through life, certainly that's the requirement for salvation is to come and believe. But how do we live that out every day? Do we grow in our faith? Do we keep coming to Jesus with the things that are going on in our lives, the things that trouble us, the things that are good even? And do we keep believing that he is able to accomplish more than we could ever ask or think? Or as we grow and we learn more and we get more mature, do we let the doubts creep in and we just kind of coast in our faith? I think sometimes our faith becomes more shallow. We end up with a belief system that only comes to Jesus and believes in him for salvation, but we don't trust him for the ongoing day-to-day life. Whatever situation you find yourself in today, can I encourage you? Go back to, if, for those that are already following Jesus, go back to when you followed him, where you came and believed. And whatever your situation is, apply that same principle. Bring that to Jesus and believe that he'll take care of it. So how are you going to deal with your disappointment, your disillusionment, and your doubt? Will you be a devoted disciple or a disciple that deserts? Father, thank you so much for loving us, for seeing us as unworthy and unable to come to you on our own. Thank you for sending your son so that we could enter into relationship with you so that we could have eternal life so we could be forgiven of our sins. Lord Jesus, we thank you for allowing your body to be broken. It tells us that it was 
broken so badly that you were not even recognizable as a man. We thank you for letting your blood be shed for us. And Father, we thank you for giving your only son as he allowed those things to happen. And Lord, now we just ask you to bless the elements as we take them and Lord, bring to our minds and our hearts the celebration that we should have and also the contemplation we should have as we come to you again, as we affirm our belief in you even through this act. In Jesus' name, amen.